Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Christ is declared to us by John to be one who was full of grace and truth. With everyone else, you can hear good news of some great act that they might have committed. You might see some expression of good character flashing across their lives, and you're pleased to see it. But the rest of the story of that person's life, well, it will reveal some dark points as well. That's just how it always is. Our heroes are all a little rusty. Jesus is the only one not like that. He was full of truth, and yet in that truth he was fully humble and always gracious. It's a miracle, isn't it? Okay, well, let's look at our passage again. John says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to just take these parts of the verses for this morning hour. We beheld His glory, or we beheld Him is the idea, full of grace and truth. These words here, full of grace and truth. Now, there are two ways in which these two words and this expression of what it was that John says they saw are interpreted for us or given to us by the various commentators. One is to say that what is being described here by John is exactly what they saw in the attributes of Jesus Christ as he walked upon the earth. That when they looked at Jesus as they observed his life, they saw grace. That is to say, they saw a liberal outpouring of all the intrinsic goodness of the Lord Jesus being poured out upon them. And they saw in him truth. That is, they saw an unwavering, undiminishing expression of his absolute standing and utter perfection. His truth. All of his attributes displayed before them. And this is what they saw when they looked at him. Now, there's another idea that's been proposed as well. And this idea brings to it somewhat the force of the context of this passage. And what they say is that what John is speaking about here when he says that they beheld grace and truth, that which was full of grace and truth, is that what is being spoken to is what they saw flowing from the Lord Jesus into the lives of the disciples. That is, they saw what was given to them through Jesus Christ and became their own possession. Grace from Him for the removal of all their sins. Grace from Him in the place of all of the laws and all of the rules that they had tried to follow and obey in order to somehow gain access into the presence of the Father and grace from Him that saved them. Well, beyond this, they not only saw these things, but they saw truth. The truth that came down from Him. That truth that went beyond rituals and went beyond regulations and a truth that came real life before them and became real salvation to them and brought them into a true and real and lasting relationship with Him. The context kind of supports that second idea because verses 16 and 17, it says this, Of His fullness we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so it speaks of the... You see the difference there? The difference is one speaks 
the words speak of the beauty that we see in the Lord Jesus, and the other sees it as words that speak to the salvation that comes to us from Him. And so the question may be asked, which is it? Which one of these is it? To answer that question, what we need to do is we need to behold Him. We need to see what the disciples saw when they looked at Jesus. We have our Christmas story. We have the response of the shepherds after the angels came and announced the birth of the Savior in Bethlehem. They said, let us go and see this thing that the Lord has made known to us. We have in our minds the images of Mary. You might hear various songs that are sung from the vantage point of Mary. As they're sung, all of us can close our eyes and see she's looking into his face. She's studying her little baby. We have our manger scenes, which are not historically accurate, by the way. Because we crowd all kinds of figures around that manger scene. We bring the wise men there. They didn't show up for a couple years, but we bring them there anyhow. They're there gathered around that manger scene. We bring the shepherds all there. We've got Joseph there. We've got Mary there. And when we played with them as children, we even knew they were all supposed to be turned inward towards the manger and the little baby, the little baby in that manger. They're studying him and they're looking. We, we even turn the cows to look that way and the little wooden sheep and the camel if he's there. They're all gazing at the baby Jesus. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you have writings from individuals who, like John, beheld his glory. The word, therefore, beholding his glory is a word that speaks of a contemplative gazing. A commentator by the name of Linsky says it's this way. The eye and the mind rest upon the object, penetrate and absorb it. It has the connotation of wonder and admiration. I kind of think of it this way. When you gaze upon something intently and lovingly, your eye opens up to receive it. It's a warning to me to be careful about what you gaze upon. There are all kinds of failure and sin and destruction that we bring into our lives because we gaze upon the wrong thing. That means we, as a result of gazing upon it, receive it into our minds, into our hearts, into our attitudes. John is actually calling us to gaze upon him and receive into our lives the impression of his life and what he says to us. In 1 John chapter 1, John says what we heard, what we saw, what we gazed upon, that's the idea, the same idea there, gazed upon and handled or grappled, declare we unto you, what we have seen we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. In a sense, what John is saying is we've gazed on Him, we've studied Him, and we want you to join us in our gaze. Our fellowship came. It developed in our lives as we studied Christ. As we received Him through our gaze. And we want you to enjoy this knowing, receptive, gazing fellowship with us. And the story that we have told here in the Gospels then is a story that is meant to cause us to look on like the disciples at the Lord Jesus Christ. They want us to direct our gaze with them at the Lord Jesus. So the question is this. What will we see in Him? What did they see in Him? And this answers 
this two interpretations I gave you. The other question is, what did it matter? What they saw in him, what did it matter to their lives? What did it mean to their lives? Well, let's try to answer those questions by looking with the disciples where they looked. And let's just say this first. What did they see? Well, they saw a person whose life was overflowing with grace and truth. The first interpretation is the right interpretation. They saw an individual whose life was overflowing with grace and truth. What this means is that this fullness of grace and truth, what it speaks of is the absence of sin and untruth. So of a person full of grace and truth. What does that mean? Well, it means that they saw someone whose life was absent of sin and untruth. Really, what John is saying is that he and disciples saw the perfect sinless man. We know the impression that the disciples had when they looked at that little baby in the manger. It's the same impression that we have when we look at a little baby. We think, oh, they're so perfect. They're so innocent. Who sees a little baby and sees sin there? We see such potentiality, such perfection, such perfect little toes and perfect little fingers and perfect, wonderful skin. That's what they saw. That's what we see when we see any baby. Now, the difference for us is, should we stumble upon that baby after 18 years or so? Something changes. Sin has its impact. What we thought we saw was not all that was there. Oh, there was potentiality. But a potentiality that was already ruined and marred. A potentiality for sin and destruction and separation and selfishness. We would find that what we thought was not really what it was. But should these shepherds have come down from their hillside to hear a man who was preaching along the Galilean shore? Should they have come to take a sick mother or brother to come to that one to receive a touch? Should they have been one of those who followed along with him outside the band of the inner twelve? And they gazed on him and saw him. They would see that they were right. He was perfect. He was sinless. His very being exuded innocence and perfection and he was everything that they thought he was when they saw him in that manger. We know about ourselves. We know that we have some good parts about us. We all do. I mean, let's admit it. There are some things that are not so bad. We hope that's the case. That's why some young woman was attracted to us at some point in time. They saw the good stuff in us, and that's why we were attracted to some young woman. We saw the good in them. So we know that we've got something good in us, but we also know that we're not all good. We know that it's not everything that it seems to be. In all of us, even in the best among us, there is this struggle at some point, to some extent, between what we know God wants us to be and what we know God wants us to do and what we want to be and what we want to do. We know it's there. We know the struggle. Even at our best, we know that there are inconsistencies in our character. We know that there is weakness here, that there is an inaccurate perception out there of us. You know, kids get upset when they think that their parents 
are thinking something ill of them and they know that they're innocent of that activity or that suspicion and they don't like it. They get angry and irritated. However, more often than not, it's the other way around. The parent is proud of them and the parent may be found boasting of them and overheard bragging of their kid and that kid knows that the parent doesn't know the rest of the story. There's more to it. Paul knew that everything wasn't exactly as he appeared to be. He said of himself that in his flesh, that was just in him apart from what Christ had done for him, that there was a war in him to such an extent that in Romans 7 he said that the good that I would do, I don't do, and the bad or the evil that I would not do, that I find myself doing. He burst out at one point in time, said, wretched man that I am who will rescue me from this body of death, this cleaving of sin that's saturating my flesh, my corporal being, Every one of us at some point in time has asked ourselves, even as we've looked at the things that we think are our good points, and said, why did I do that? What was I thinking? That's the way it is for every person. Every person who's ever lived on the face of the earth. Every person but one. Just one. Jesus Christ is the lone exception to the rule. If you look at his life and you carefully gaze upon it and you study it, you'll find an individual who is full of grace and truth, filling them up to such an extent there's no room for untruth, there's no room for sin, there's not one incongruity in his life, there's not one inconsistency, there's not one lie, not even the shadow of a lie, not even a white lie. His life breathes out the air of sinlessness. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this message, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until our next broadcast, God bless you.